This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. So what's the general, what's the soundbite of the book? Mm-hmm. The soundbite of the book is that, you know, brands are now operating in a you know, fairly tumultuous and treacherous environment. Um, we see it every day on the news, you know, all the polarization, mm-hmm. all the rampant uh, tribalism and conflict and stress and, you know, loss of trust and what's real and what's a fact. And increasingly brands are caught in the midst of this. Sometimes, as I say, it's because they stumble into it. Sometimes it's because um, an increasingly activist consumer base mm. has learned to use brands as part of their agenda. So, if Sean Hannity says something I don't like about the Parkland kids, then I will call up Keurig and say, hey, I'm going to hashtag boycott you if you don't pull your advertising. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, the Hannity fans say, wait a second, you're just, you know, stuck your thumb in the eye of my boy, Sean. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start blowing up your Keurig machines and, you know, setting them on fire and putting that on, on social media. <laughs> so If you could uh, see Barbara's face right now, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty crazy moment, right? Because in some senses, what you want to try to do is you, as a marketer, you're trying to create a kind of deep sense of connection and, quote, loyalty and affiliation with the brand. But you're saying this this new environment, this hashtag fake news environment, is really not only my love of the brand and the in-group that's associated with the brand, but hatred for the out-group in some senses uh, when you kind of layer in this sort of political, you know, aspect in terms of the tribalism piece, yes? Exactly. It, 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 it's become a world where the more you resonate with some the more oh, likely yeah. you are alien. to alienate others. And uh, I'd actually created this sort of, you know, as an academic, you may appreciate this, this thing I called the brand risk relevance curve, where, you know, you can kind of, as you move along this, this curve, um, the more likely you are to have some people say, boy, I really love what you're saying, and the more likely you are to have other people saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to hashtag boycott you. Mm-hmm. So is that a and, central piece of yours, that there is that polarization, you can't please everybody? Well, it's really hard to please everybody. And, you know, it's a little bit like classic brand theory where you need to start with a target in mind and be really, really compelling and relevant to them. If you try and be pleasant and inoffensive to everybody, then you get to kind of a least common denominator and you're not really that interesting to anyone. Mm. Um, But this is just that theory on steroids. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I wouldn't say it's impossible. You know, there are some universal, you know, issues or likes and uh, themes and emotions, but, you know, it, it, it is difficult. And I think when companies confront this reality, they often take a very binary view. Either, um, oh my gosh, I got to go all the way political and say, I hate Trump or we need to build a wall. <laughs> And mm-hmm. uh, that is going to be polarizing and, and controversial, and my brand just can't, I can't do that. Um, so therefore, I have to go to the other extreme and just curl up in the fetal position and hope it all goes away. <laughs> so with that curve I just described, I tried to articulate, there's actually a, a range of, of postures one can take. From, you know, and, and there's no one right answer, but there's one thing everybody should do, which is that sort of base level of, what are my values? What do I believe in? What's important to me? Even if I never want to breathe the word of that publicly. By doing that, you know who you are. You can use that as your moral compass so that hopefully it helps keep you out of trouble in your daily operation and you don't have, you know, gate agents calling the police to drag a 
passenger <laughs> off your plane bloody and unconscious. Right. Um, but also, because you can't predict when you are called out, um, you're ready in case CNN does suddenly call and say, hey, there's people protesting at the gates. What do you say? Right. You don't have time in this, this fast news right. cycle environment to ponder and discuss and mm-hmm. have an offsite with the executives. You need to know what your answer is that day. So everybody should do at least that. A step up from that is what we've all been talking about for a while, brand purpose, where you align yourself with something that's pretty broad, pretty positive and uncontroversial, like Dove and Real Beauty. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. a very good thing. But the truth is you're not going to have people storming the gates with pitchforks and torches saying, down with real beauty, we want fake beauty. Right? <laughs> it's, it's generally a pretty evergreen, safe space. A notch up Although from that there's been I, missteps there, too. True. Well, exactly. And that gets to the execution and how you have the execution to be careful piece, yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. These are really choices one can right. make is say, all right, I'm going to know my values but not speak about it publicly. Okay. And another choice that takes you a little bit farther along where you're being a little bit more public, a little bit more relevant, um, but still fairly low risk, is to say, I'm going to embrace a brand purpose like Real Beauty or The right, Great Outdoors. Right. or So that's step you know, two. Confidence in kids. One step more aggressive is what I call issues, where you wade into something that's a little bit more tension-filled, a little more current, um, but not necessarily polar. Okay. You're not necessarily saying, I'm for this or against that. And, you know, I think a good example there is Frito-Lay hmm. wading into the issue of young people aren't registering to vote. And that's, I see. no matter how they vote, that's just a bad thing. How can we, yes. how can we get engaged with that? Or not Heineken controversial. I see. With uh, Worlds Apart, mm-hmm. where they said, hey, yes. w- yeah. we're not having civil dialogue. We're not treating each other like people. Right. We're treating each other like idiot who doesn't believe in global warming. Right. But, but, um, but would the next step then beyond that, and this is probably way down your curve, Peter, would yeah. be kind of the Colin Kaepernick kind of a thing, right? Yes, yeah. precisely. Got that's it. exactly right. And that's where you say, I am for this, I'm against that, and there are clearly going to be you know, at least two sides of that issue. So without a doubt, there are going to be some people who don't like what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So how does a CEO decide where on that continuum they should be placed? Mm, yeah, that's, and a, that, great that's question. a big question. And, you know, it starts with that first stage of, like, what are the things that, that we believe in and hold dear, regardless of whether we would ever want to go public with it. But then it comes down to a really introspective um, sort of process of saying, you know, based on my customers, based on my business model, my owners, my leadership, my employees, um, you know, you have to put all those things in the mix master and say, what are we prepared to do, mm-hmm. right? How far along this curve are we prepared to go knowing that there will be risks? And if we just don't have the intestinal fortitude or if we have something in our business model where we know half the value of our company will walk away, um, if we go you know, this far with this issue, you know, those are all the things you need to weigh. So- and I'd say with the natural caution that most people would have when they're going through that calculus, you also need to remember that silence is a choice, and mm-hmm. people will view inaction and silence right. you know, as taking a position. And competitors and will fill the silence, right, Peter? Competitors will fill the silence, and employees may not put up with it. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more instances of that phenomenon, right? Google uh, oh, yeah, that's staging a, great a example. Yeah, right. over, you know, treatment of sexual harassment. Yep. Um, the airlines saying we won't fly kids 
who are separated at the border from their parents, mm-hmm. you know, because the flight attendants are saying, hey, this is not why I got into this business, dragging a screaming kid down the jetway. So mm-hmm. let me let me ask you a question. Why yeah. um, did you title it hashtag fake news? What, what, how does the fake news context interact with yeah. everything you're talking about? Well, you put your finger on the, the piece that I wrestled with the most. And the first five speeches I gave on this topic, I called it the Trump era because it, it seemed, the phenomenon really seemed to arise with the election, and he certainly instigated some of the first uh, instances, you know, calling out Nordstrom for dropping Ivanka's line. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then as I looked at it more, I realized, you know, Trump is really more um, outcome than catalyst, right? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. more symptom than the cause. Um, so there are forces that preceded him and that will likely outlast him that are creating this environment. And I also didn't want it to sound like a political book, right. which it's not. Um, so I wrestled with what, you know, how, what's the right handle for this crazy environment? And uh, fake news seemed to just capture it. But, but you're correct in sort of calling out that it's not a book purely about fake news. I mean, the, the fake news phenomenon contributes to this era of mistrust and uncertainty. Well, and, one of the and, reasons you know, I ask that is because, you know, like the idea that a company should have some kind of value and take it all the way up potentially to issues and to polarizing sides, that's one issue. And the other issue is what if it is quote unquote fake? You know, like you think about what happened with that Pepsi ad with was mm-hmm. it oh, Kendall yeah. Jenner? I mean, that yeah. was fake, right? That was they called it to their credit. They said, oh, God, that, my bad pull that ad. But the the reason it didn't go over, it kind of was taking a position, but it wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic. Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that that would be part of of your thesis, that it really does have to be something that rings true to the company. Absolutely. In so many ways. So it it has to be authentic in terms of um, being really rooted in something that's true about the company, true about the, the beliefs. Um, which is why, you know, I described that first process of grounding in values as introspective, right? It's not about reading the market research and saying, oh, people care about hunger. We're going to be all about hunger today, Mm -hmm. because then that leads to, you Mm -hmm. know, inauthentic. um, And people have gotten smart, and they've gotten cynical. And as more and more companies have jumped on the purpose bandwagon, people are starting to get a little jaded about all these people, you know, hopping on, and joining the parade and really doing more talking the talk and not walking the walk. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to put your finger on what Pepsi has done in terms of helping with social strife, mm-hmm. whereas Frito-Lay actually you know, right. did things to help people. But that's the same and, company. <laughs> and that same company. Very right. different. Yeah. Right. Um, so it really has to spring from an authentic place, and it has to have a real point of view and, you know, even in the Kendall Jenner ad, they didn't really have a point of view. It was sort of, here's a general vague thing going on that looks kind of like a Black Lives Matter rally, but then Kendall Jenner stops it with a can of Pepsi. What was the point they're trying to make? Whereas right. Heineken, right. in contrast, was saying, yes. here's a real thing, right. not talking to each other like people, and here's a real aspiration. Let's sit down and be open and have a dialogue. So yeah. going back to America's favorite example, what would you have counseled Starbucks to do hmm. with the... Uh, with that restaurant situation? Well, you know, I think they did a lot of things right um, in that they immediately, immediately took it very, very seriously. They didn't do the United Airlines hem and haw and clear their throat for a week before they actually coughed up a a real apology. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a very, very, very heartfelt, I thought, 
and authentic seeming apology and statement of of regret and sincerity from the CEO, followed by a lot of action. Mm -hmm. Shutting Um, down the stores for a full day of training. Very visible, very Mm -hmm. revenue hurting move. Mm Now, a lot of people are saying, hey, it's going to take more than that. Yeah. Right. That <laughs> wow. Okay. Tough crowd. Okay. <laughs> there you have it. Um, but, but, you know, it goes to the point where you need to, in those instances, show sustained commitment mm-hmm. to whatever it is. So you, you show that it's real. You take it seriously. You're on it. You don't try and blame, wow, what a terrible manager. I'm shocked that that happened. No, the CEO said, wow, we failed. Right. Um, here's things we're doing. And then show, and here's what we're continuing to do. Right. Um, now, fortunately, Starbucks has on its side a long history of trying to be on the right side of right. You know, these kinds of issues. Yeah, now and they have every- a really big holiday issue coming up. Right. Here we go. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag Christmas. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think to your point, Peter, that you, you make a great point there when you talk about sustained commitment. And what popped into my mind when you were uh, discussing this is the idea of the fact that if you're doing this over time, you're, it's almost like it's almost like making deposits in a bank of goodwill, and yeah. so you know this notion of of creating credibility over time, and if something it's going back to the Dove case. I mean, Dove was doing some things, some nice things, uh, really nice things with this uh, real beauty campaign over time, so that when they did have the little misstep with the bottle shape, uh, you know, debacle, yeah. people were like, okay, that was bad, but. That doesn't completely negate, you know, exactly that's, what you've yeah, been trying to do over yeah. time. So I think I think if you're to your point, if you're if you're putting in that effort, that sustained commitment, you're actually trying to build something uh, exactly. in terms of goodwill with your consumers. And, and you know, you may have to draw down on that for some of these mistakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that, that's so true. And in addition, um, I would even counsel start walking before you start talking, mm-hmm. so that when you do say, "Hey, we are all about this value or this issue." From the get-go, you can say, and look what we've been doing. So yeah. mm-hmm. you can pass that cynical first look to say, Goes back huh, to is authenticity. this an ad or is this a belief that's backed up by action? Um, and then in addition, as you say, you're, you're making deposits in the Goodwill Bank that, that you like that may very well need. Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. We've been talking to Peter Horst, who has just written a new book called Marketing in the Hashtag Fake News Era. It was a pleasure to have you. And if you want to find out more about Peter, you can go to cmoinc.com or follow him on Twitter at Peter Horst. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 